12. I'd like to start in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says there, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. There are times if you are serving the Lord that you will be wearied and you will be faint in your minds. And I'm going to preach to that here tonight on this thought about running the race with patience. And I want the Lord to encourage you. I want the Lord to help you uh, because there are some things here that I, I certainly believe that can be a great encouragement to all of us if we would be open to the word of the Lord. Let, let's ask the Lord to touch our minds and our spirits here tonight. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're in your presence. We're in your house. Lord, these words that I have read, I truly believe, that, Lord, that they are the literal, audible voice of God. And I pray, Lord, tonight that these words, God, that they would serve, Lord, this church in a way that they would be an encouragement, be an inspiration. I pray, God, that you would give us insight and wisdom and help us, Lord, to give ourselves earnestly to finishing the race, the path, the trail, Lord, that you have placed us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And... Uh, I will be uh, conscious of the time, um, although I, uh, after having said what I said this morning, I don't want to get in a huge hurry because um, there's things that you miss when you're in a hurry. Running the race with patience. I uh, ran across some church history sometime back and uh, tells the story of an event that took place in 320 A.D. or so and it was a place that was in what we know now as modern day Turkey and um, there was a governor that was there that he spoke to some of his his soldiers that were that they were they were Christians. They were saints, and um, he he told them. He said, "You're very valuable in uh, this army, but I have been been brought to my attention that you uh, do not bow down and you refuse to offer a sacrifice to the emperor." Uh, and the Roman emperor at the time, you may have heard that phrase before, Caesar, he is Lord. That was one of the things that put the early church in conflict with the Roman government. And uh, so, so this, this governor is in a place called Savast. He tells his soldiers, he said, you're a valuable part of my army. He said, but if you do not... Um, offer up a sacrifice, he said, then I'm going to have to punish you for that particular thing. And so the soldiers, there were 40 of them, they spoke up to the governor and they, they told him, they said, we are not going to offer a sacrifice because if we do that, then it is betraying 
our holy faith. And so the governor then asked them, he said, well, well, what about all your comrades? What about your soldiers that are brothers that are that are with you? What what about them? And and uh, they said, well, you know, we we understand that we're in uh, this Roman legion. We know that we're soldiers uh, here, but we also know that if we are to offer a sacrifice to Caesar, then that would disgr- disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that ultimately is the most terrible thing that that we could do. And so this uh, governor became very uh, upset, and he said, <coughs> if, you, <coughs> if you persist in your uh, rebellion, then here's what you have to understand, that there's going to be torture, and you're going to be put in prison, and that very even... Uh, could lead to your own deaths. And so those men heard that and they stood firm and yet they knew that governor well enough to know that uh, he would carry out his threat. And so whenever they responded back to him, they told him, they said, Sir, we want you to know that nothing that you can offer us would replace what we would lose in the world to come if we gave up. That's a pretty amazing thing to look at this life because most people look at this life and the here and the now and think that uh, this is all that there is to it. And yet these soldiers stood up and they told this, this governor, they said, we, we want you to know this, governor, that, that if we do bow and if we offer a sacrifice, then what was going to, what's going to happen is that we trade off our lives. And as for your threats, we have learned that if we must, then we have to deny our bodies when our souls are at stake. And especially whenever you look at our eternal welfare. And so the story goes that they took those men and and uh, before it was over with, they took them down to it was freezing cold. And uh, they took them down to a pond and they said, here's what we're going to do with these men. We're going to make them, and, it, and at that time the pond was, was frozen. It was a thick piece of ice. And so they told these men, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to strip you down and, and we're going to make you get out there on that, uh, on that pond, out there on that water. And you're going to have to stay out there. And, and you're going to freeze to death out there if you don't uh, understand that. And, and the governor called for the soldiers that were uh, there nearby. And, and yet before the soldiers could come up to them, these men, you get this, they started pulling off their uniforms and, and dropped them right there. And the 40 of them walked out there on the middle of that frozen lake. And they stood out there. They were shivering, obviously very cold. And... Um, and it wasn't too long before that the guards that were standing around got another order. And they said, what we want you to do is we want you to take some, some tubs of water like you, like you feed your, or you water your horses and, and take the troughs out there and you pour water in that and you build fires up under that so that there's going to be like a, a warm bath and let these soldiers have to watch uh, that warm bath that is there as they are out there trembling. And I'm going to tell them that, that if you want to escape from the cold, then what you can do is that you can come and you can settle in to this water and you can warm up. And so as, as the night went on, the sun soon began to sink and it sunk down and, and there could be a prayer that began to be heard by those guards that were around and it went something like this, Lord there are 40 of us that are engaged in this battle and grant that the 40 may be crowned and not one of us be missing from that sacred number. Well as the night went on and it got even more cold, finally one of those soldiers decided that and uh, that he just couldn't stand it. And, and so he began to run, more of a, a shuffle than a run. And he walked out uh, from that ice there. And then he settled down into one of those um, into one of those troughs there, hoping that it would warm him up. But the shock coming from that 
uh, sub-freezing weather that when he got into the warm water, that his death was almost instant. And then something very odd happened. One of the guards uh, that was supposed to be guarding those guys, uh, then he started and he stripped down. He said, I'm going to step in for this man that has walked away. There were other guards that were standing around and I know people think this stuff is preposterous, but I believe the Bible and I believe this story. And so there were other guards that were standing around and they were watching these men that were there. And one of the guards began to call out and he said, look. And he said, what, what are you talking about? And his guard looked uh, there with him as well. And, and they began to see above these soldiers that were out there on that freezing pond that there were spirits that were above them and and in those arms of those spirits there were crowns that they had and and there were robes that they had draped over their arms and it was almost like there was a group of angels that was hovered above those 40 men that were there over that pond and and uh, the the man the others there the two that saw them uh, all the other guards said, you, you guys are out of your minds. It's pitch black. There's no way that, that you can see what is, is here with what you're describing. It's, it's, uh, you, it's a mirage. You're hallucinating. And these men said, oh, no, 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 we're not. And, and uh, finally, it was to the place where that, that the guards finally started seeing men drop. And they died out there on that cold frozen pond and then the governor's call said go out and, and load up these dead bodies and so they pulled a wagon out over there on the pond and started loading up the dead bodies and they soon found out that there was something very bizarre about one of the corpses it was a young man and they started to pick him up and he started stirring and started like he, he came back and and uh, one of the men looked down and said, oh, it's a poor Melito, poor fellow. He's just a kid. Uh, take, take him back to the village and, and give him back to his mother and, and tell his mother, you need to take care of this, this boy and, and uh, bring him back and, and let him stay with you. And, and so that's what they did. They took him into the village there. And the mother came and she looked at him and she said, I'm not going to take him home. What kind of talk is that? They said, what do you mean by that? And, and she said, I want you to know that, that there is something about it that you're going to cheat this boy out of his crown by making him recant. Now, that story is documented uh, in ancient history. Three sources at least. The men that were martyred there in 320 A.D., Gregory of Nicaea documents it. Uh, Basil the Great documents it. And then there are other writers that were contemporaries of those men, and the story became known as the Feast of the Forty Martyrs. And I would say here tonight that what was it about those men or those people? What made those men different well there was something about it that they just decided that the race that they ran that they refused to be caught up with the demands of the wicked that were there that scripture that I read to you here tonight notice if your Bible is still open there look at what that word there is in the King James it says wherefore there in chapter 12 and verse 1 if you read it in Moffat's translation, he says it like this, Therefore, with all this host of witnesses encircling us, we must strip off every handicap, strip off sin with its clinging folds to run our appointed race or course with steadiness. And, and what was he talking about? Well, when he uses that word wherefore, what he means for us to do is that we have to look back. We look back at Hebrews chapter 11. And you know 
most of you probably are aware that that's called the roll call of um, the faithful there. And there are great men and women of God that are named in those segments of Scripture there. And the writer's telling us that what we have to do is that there are a host of witnesses and who are they and what did they do? Abel, he gave uh, the Lord a more excellent sacrifice. He was a man that was willing to go beyond. Enoch left the earth without dying. Noah survived the great flood. Abraham inherited the land. Sarah bore a son through a barren womb. Abraham believed God could raise from the dead. Isaac and Jacob, they predicted the future. Joseph anticipated Egypt or the Exodus long before it ever stood. Moses' parents defied the king of Egypt. Moses, what did he do? He forsook the pleasures of sin. He left the land of Egypt and he was not afraid of the king there. But what does that do? That leads us into the children of Israel. What did they do? They kept the Passover. They crossed the Red Sea. They shouted down a city. And then we find somebody that slips in that probably shouldn't be there. But, but she is. Her name is Rahab. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She had no business being in that place there. But what did she do? She protected some spies there. There were prophets and judges. What did they do? Well, the writer tells us they subdued kingdoms. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched fire. They escaped the sword. They exchanged weakness for strength. And they put armies to flight. And a few of them were even raised from the dead. That's what the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us, but I want to point out some things here even more to you here tonight. Hebrews 11 is even more than that because it showed us that they endured. Well, what was it that they endured? They endured terrible torture. They endured ridicule and cruel flogging and imprisonment and stoning and being sown in sunder or sown in two and death by the sword and extreme poverty. What was it that these saints of the Lord in the Old Testament learned? They learned this, that endurance is a very powerful quality that every one of us ought to, ought to incorporate into our lives. Y'all know I had some people hurt my feelings along the way? Even some of y'all here have hurt my feelings. Y'all know those people talked about me before? Tore down my reputation? Tried to malign my character? Some, some people that went to church here, they did that to me. Y'all know these people that have offended me? Yeah, they hurt my feelings. Made me want to eat some worms. And I got a feeling that I could bring y'all into that as well. But when I read about stuff like this, it's like, oh, my Lord. I, I, I need to get with the program, and I need to move forward because I haven't even tasted of persecution and trouble like they had. The Hebrews 11 tells us that they endured, but it tells us something else. It tells us the reason that they endured, how in the world... Did, did they endure? How did they, uh, as one pastor told me, in fact, he told me this this afternoon. He said, we have to know this. We got to play the long game. Y'all know what the long game is? You're not playing for the first quarter. You're playing for the fourth quarter whenever that clock finally expires. And you want to make sure that you don't have a good showing in the first quarter and the second quarter and the first half. You've got to make sure that when you're playing the long game that there is some part of a commitment to you that says, I'm not going to give in or quit. I don't care what the score is. I'm not going to stop. I'm still going to believe in prayer. I'm still going to call for revival. I'm still going to preach the new birth. I'm still going to believe in the holiness. I don't care what comes. I'm still going to endure 
and I'm going to make it all the way because I'm playing the long game. But how, what was the reason that they endured? They saw the invisible city of God. They believed that suffering for the sake of the Lord was better than having all the riches in the world. And they looked forward, get this, even to their own resurrection. Most of us are chasing life. I think that's probably the goal. The goal is to go somewhere and amuse ourselves and have a big time. But the Bible tells us that these, that the reason they endured is because they looked forward to their own resurrection. And yet there's even more. It says they endured, tells us the reason they endured. Now it tells us that that this Holy Spirit-inspired writer, he comes along and he drops in. He says, I want to also tell you this, what they received. In the past, they received the temporal approval, the earthly approval of the Lord. That's, that's what they got in the past. But in the future, they got the heavenly and eternal approval of God. And that's how that you endure, is you know that the Lord is with you. And so I'm going to spend the next 26 minutes and 48 seconds telling you three things. Verse 1 is talking about the race. Verses 2 and 3 tells us about the role model. And I didn't read verse 4, but verse 4 tells us about the reassurance. I want you to know this, that a lasting spiritual faith has its nature, it has its trials, and it has its triumphs. Those things are mixed into your life. You, you're you're going to have every one of you here tonight, if you have a lasting spiritual faith, there will be trials and there will be triumphs that you will experience in a single lifetime. And here's what you have to make sure that whenever you get in the trial part that you don't get confused and say God must be mad at me or God must have abandoned me. Because the fact is this, is that if we reign with Him, then the Bible tells us that we're going to suffer with Him. There's going to be pressures. There's going to be stresses. There will be disappointments, there will be dreams that do not come to pass and yet the Bible tells me that I've got to stay in the race and so verse 1 tells us that <coughs> wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, the godly life is compared to a race. That's not the first time that, that it does that. You're in a spiritual race and it requires an absolute concentration. And yet he tell, he warns us. It's like a he's, a, he's saying, look, let me let you in on something. There are going to be weights and they're going to be besetting sins. That they're going to come in your direction and you've got to be, you've got to have some concentration. You've got to make sure that when you start that there's an unerring focus. This is a marathon that's going to test every fiber of your being here. But when there's something that is very beneficial that takes place, and that's this, is that the longer you run, the more that you develop a spiritual capacity and strength about you. And... Uh, I don't pay nearly as much attention to sports as I used to. Um, but here, probably, I don't know, it's probably been two years ago. It is talking about, talking about one of them Alabama players, one in, one in St. Nick's boys. And, uh, boy, y'all got scared yesterday, didn't you? He pulled you out at the last minute. And uh, you was probably shouting and praising, and a few of you said amen. The rest of you want to say amen. 
I heard them talking about one of those fellows that, that went and used to play there, and this is what they said about him. They said the longer that game goes on, the stronger he gets. And I, I let that rattle around in my mind. That, that all the fatigue and all of the strength that's spent out there on that field. And, and yet here you have this one guy that as the game goes on, he gets stronger. That, that didn't just happen just because he wished that. It had to do with his weight control. It had to do with his time in the weight room. It had to do with how much he spent in wind sprints and conditioning his body. That's what these guys were talking about. But there was somebody that wrote about that same principle 2,000 years ago, 1,950 years ago. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? And then here's what he says. So run that ye may obtain. Verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery, he's temperate in all things. Now, they do this to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here's some things to underline. Verse 24, so run that ye may obtain. Verse 25, he's temperate in all things. Verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Those are things that, what is it that the writer of Hebrews describes in in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 26? He says it like this, ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established and turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. What is Solomon talking about? He's talking about focus. He's talking about intensity. He's talking about saying, you know what? I've got to get a narrow view of what I'm trying to do and where I'm trying to go. In life, there's a host of other scriptures. I won't read them all to you here tonight, but Matthew 16 and 24, Romans 6 and 13, 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to tell you this. If all of the saints in the preceding ages, if they lived, if they suffered, if they endured and they conquered by faith, then don't be surprised. something to attack you and they walked through things health crisis brother Abersol Parkinson's sister Bailey Parkinson's brother Sanders cancer various other job situations that some of you have had to contend with and yet here's what the Bible says the Bible says that there was something about it that that no matter what there was a unerring focus that was in their life that they said I've got to have this no matter what it doesn't matter what comes I've got to have the Lord Jesus Christ in my life and in my spirit and understand this a child of God a saint is valuable to God you know why it's because I see the way that saints are described in scripture and when you start looking at how you're described in Scripture, and listen to me, church, I, I know I, I, y'all get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to keep on saying this to you. I pray your mind and spirit get so saturated with the Word of God that everything you do is immersed in Scripture. And we have a tendency to let the devil lie to us. And so what's the combat? What's the antidote to his lies? This book right here. This Bible right here. But you've got to spend time with it. There's got to be time that you spend with your Bible. Several months ago, I 
uh, Brother Patterson and myself and Brother uh, Pittman went up to a, 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 a men's conference, and it was a long way. It was Athens. It was five and a half hours that we we drove. And, and here's what Brother Pittman, he got in the car, and, and he sat down. We picked him up in, I think, Enterprise, or no, we picked him up in Troy. And uh, he got in the car, and... Uh, and Brother Patterson said, let, let me move back here in the back. And, and so Brother Pittman's up there in the front seat next to me. And I'm going to tell you, I judge people by their Bibles. I judge preachers by their Bibles. <laughs> I try not to judge you by your Bible. When I see Bibles that are new and pristine and clean, kind of like this one right here, I judge people. I think, man, that's a rookie. That's a rookie that's using that Bible. But I, I walked out tonight, and it's like some of you fellas, you got all your pistols. You're like, man, I think I need to take this pistol out with me tonight. And I walked by one of those 80 Bibles, and all of them were sitting there. It's like, take, get me, take me, take me to the pulpit tonight. And I said, all right, that's the one I'm going to take. So this is not the normal one that I always use, okay? So don't judge me by the pristine condition of this Bible here tonight. But Brother, Brother Pittman got in that car, and... and uh, he, he opened up his Bible. Sister Pittman, you need to buy Brother Pittman a new Bible. Just, just, just buy him a new Bible. I know it will take him a little bit. To, but but it's tape, was taped up. It, was, it, was, it, looked, it looked horrible, but it was well used. And uh, he opened it up, and there was writings in there. There was highlighting in there. And, and we, he started, I want to talk. Let's talk about prophecy, about Bible prophecy, and we started talking, and, and we spent a lot of the time talking uh, all the way up and, and most of the way back talking about the Word of the Lord. Can I tell you that one of the reasons that the enemy sometimes keeps me, I'm not going to put you in this, okay, but sometimes the way, reason the enemy keeps me on the ropes is because he pulls me away from the Word of God. And yet there's a definition of who I am in the Scriptures. The Bible tells me in Proverbs 4 and 18 that I am a shining light. In John 15, it tells me that, that I am a, a branch off of the vine. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells me that I am a soldier. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 tells me that I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim. And now in Hebrews chapter 12, among other places, the Word of God tells me that I'm a runner. Somebody's running. And uh, these guys that run at uh, Justin here a few days ago out at James Oak Park, just around from where we live, ran seven miles, ran. And, and I, got, I got short of breath just listening to him tell me he runs seven miles. He's going to run nine miles this coming week. Dad, I need to get out there. But I'm just telling how do these guys do that? Because their bodies are conditioned to do that. And one of the reasons that we get in a place where we're not spiritually conditioned is because we gorge ourselves on the things of this world and we pull things in that are not healthy for us spiritually. They, they cause our minds to be so confused. They cause our souls to be so full of doubt and depression. And I would even say that there's times where that, that we almost feel like that we're lost. Why is that? Because we're not training And so look at what he says here in that verse. Look there at the verbs in, in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Compassed about, lay aside, run. And uh, what does that mean? That means you've got to let go of absolutely everything in your life that hinders you doing those things. Robert Bort wrote a book, most a lot of you younger don't even remember who Robert Bork was. He was a Supreme Court justice that Ronald Reagan wanted to appoint to the uh, Supreme Court in the 90s. 
And yet this is whenever it's kind of first started in that you started seeing the partisanship between the two parties uh, fighting. And, and they thought that Robert Bort was too, conser- too conservative. But he wrote a book, and the title of that book was called Slouching Toward Gamaro. And uh, you can find a used copy of it now. And you start reading that book written 40 years ago or so, and you start saying that <coughs> Mr. Bort... <coughs> even though he was a a, uh, justice and even though he was an attorney, that there was still something about it that he did see us slouching as a nation. And now you look and you're like our nation has slouched off down into literally a place of spiritual and mental insanity. How in the world did that happen? Neglect of the spiritual man. And yet, we have to know this, that we've got to be led by the Spirit. Let's talk about that matter there of what he talks about, the weights. Do you see that there? He said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. One of the characters in the Old Testament that I often associate this scripture with is a man by the name of Samson. You remember Samson kept playing around with Delilah. She kept, Samson, Samson, tell me the source of your great strength. Well, if you, you tie me down, if you, if you get strong green yoke, uh, rope and tie me down, if you weave my hair, uh, if you do all, and what happened is you read the progression of that story, it kept getting closer and closer and closer to his power, and finally she told him, she said, I'm going to tell you, he said, I'll tell you, he said, if you cut my hair and shave my head, said, I will be just as any other man. And the Bible tells us that she hired some Philistine barbers. These guys with razors. And they come in while he was asleep. And they shave that guy's head. And the Bible tells us that she shook him. Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And the Bible says that he jumped up and he shook himself like, come on, here we go. And the Bible says that whenever he tried to summon that strength, that it was totally gone, totally evaporated. I I just want to tell you good saints of the Lord here tonight, you work in places, some of y'all are related to people, that they're so full of the devil that the last thing that you need is for your spirit to have evaporated out from you so that whenever you get into a place of spiritual conflict that you have no power and you have no strength to be able to push back against that. Here's what one man said about those matters of besetting sins and weights. He said numerous Infractions of God's righteous law have been wrongly turned as failures and mistakes and minor blemishes and anything that minimizes the reality and the enormity of sin is to be steadfastly resisted. And and I would just caution all of us here tonight to be careful that whenever you start falling into sin, oh, it's just a failure. It's just a mistake. It's just, you know, the Lord understands me. He, 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 he knows. He was flesh. He knows what it's like. Don't, don't fall into that trap. There's got to be something inside of you that understands the race. And every runner has to discard two things, the unnecessary uh, burdens and the long flowing garments that would impede his progress. The Greek word there for wakes is a word called agkos, which gives the meaning of a mass. You can even translate it perhaps even into a tumor. This is the only place in the word of the Lord that it's found. And, and yet it's something that, that, the, that the writer tells us. He said it, it can be easily thrown aside but because we have liberty and authority to do that. I've got a choice. 
I've got a choice as to what I will watch. I've got a choice as to what I will listen to. I've got a choice as to who I will fellowship with and let them either speak blessing into my life or speak cursing into my life. That choice is totally mine. I can't blame it on somebody else. I can't say it's somebody else's fault. I have to take the responsibility and say I want to move away from these things. What are the weights? Anything that the society and the world would try to impose on us. The forcing and the fashion of this world and its expectations to us. Wasting time, social calls that amount to nothing. Waste of money on unnecessary things. And we have to decide for ourselves. You've got to decide what the weight is. You've got to decide what the sin is. But a lot of times we can play fast and loose with the Scriptures because we don't know the Scriptures. And so lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. Moffat's translation again, Therefore with all... This host of witnesses encircling us, we have to strip off every handicap, strip off sin with its clinging folds to run our appointed course with steadiness. Now I want you to look to verses 2 and 3. Here's what the Bible says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Moffat's translation says, Our eyes fixed on the Lord as the pioneer and the perfection of our faith on Jesus, who in order to reach his own appointed joy, steadily endured the cross and thought nothing of the shame. And so the next time that somebody starts making fun of you because of your holiness standards, and people still occasionally do that, and uh, it's odd that now that if you go to any airport, you'll see people with pink hair, green hair, purple hair. You'll see all sorts of metal in a lot of different places that it shouldn't be. And you'll see a lot of ink in places you think, my, that looks strange. But you let somebody dress modestly or godly. Oh, oh, they're, they're weird. No, their values are backwards. And so what you have to do is think about the shame of the Lord on that cross. I'll just briefly pass this and go. Most of the pictures that you see of the crucifixion, the Lord is clothed. But in reality, he died on that cross. And everybody was mocking him. That, that shame right there. And so whenever you feel like that people are shaming you, if you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then know this, that he endured. And so what's the advice that he gives us open? He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, not looking around you, a lot of times we get so full of discouragement and depression. That's the challenge of social media. Because when you start looking at social media, everybody's life is fantastic and wonderful until you start thinking about your life and how horrible and how awful it is. I had to go through the drive through at McDonald's. I didn't even have enough money to be able to afford me a dollar and 39 cent half-cut tea with sweet and, and, and unsweet. Inflation has hit. Used to be a dollar. Now it's a dollar thirty-nine. Used to be you could go and you could get a McDouble for a dollar and you could get fries for a dollar. Now if you get all that, you pull up, it's five dollars and seventy-nine cents. Inflation has hit. You're like, 
I have to go home and eat this dry McDouble with no onions. And I have to drink water. And look at these people. I mean, they're eating a longhorn, and man, they just got life by the tail. And what does that do? That caters to discouragement. That causes you to think, man, how horrible my life is. And what that does is lead you to self-pity, which becomes self-absorption, which is a deadly trick of the devil. I would just say here tonight, thank God we've got Facebook so we can live stream. Thank the Lord for that. But at the same time, it caters to so many people being so dissatisfied with their lives and they murmur and complain and grumble. And the Lord is not going to be happy with that. And so what happens is we get in trouble when we look around us. We can get in trouble looking within. You can also get in trouble looking at other runners. Because when the other runners are running along, you think, man, look at, look at how fast they're going. Look, look at how much they've accomplished. Look at how much that is there. And we can get so caught up watching runners that are so far ahead of us that we get discouraged by what is taking place around us. And the far better solution is that we look to Jesus. He's the author. Jesus is the one that died for my sins. Jesus is the one that went to Calvary. He's the one that shed his blood for my salvation. It's not Mr. Smith. It's not Mr. Jones. It's not so-and-so. The Lord died for me. He's the one that saved me. And so what I have to do is look to Jesus. And then the last thing, look at, Look at verse 4. He says, you have not resisted unto blood. And so the last matter is some reassurance that he gives us. We, we haven't given our blood yet in this struggle against sin. I wouldn't be too surprised if at some point you don't start to see some persecution that's taking place in our country. And yet there are people around the world, listen to me, I'm pleading with you right now, hear me. If you haven't heard anything else I've said the entire night, then listen and hear this. There are people in persecuted churches around the world that they would almost give their right arm to swap places and be in church where you have sat tonight. And so instead, what do they do? They meet in house churches they meet in places where that it's hidden away. And yet sometimes in those house churches, it's almost like the power of God just slips in among those. And there's great ministry of the Spirit that takes place in that church. And so I would just tell you here tonight that you've got to run the race with patience. And if there are others that are in front of you, those 40 martyrs, that some of them died because they froze to death, then know this, that the Lord is with you. If you've been born again, and if you have been converted, the Lord is with you. And what you have to do is you have to make up and be sure that you're focused. I should ask Bobby Joe if I could tell this story, but I'm gonna I'll get permission in after service. Bobby Joe got to talking to me this morning about one of those chainsaws that he uses, and uh, they got a truck. It's a boom, seventy five feet up, and uh, he got to talking to me. He said, "I got a chainsaw." It's got a five-foot uh, blade, five-foot bar on it. And uh, he said, when I crank that thing up, he said, it's, it's like you've got a, a motor, a dirt bike motor in your hand. And uh, he, said, he said, I can only make about one pass through, those, through, through a tree because it so wears you down while you're cutting that, you're cutting that tree. And... Uh, Say, what does that have to do with what you're preaching? It's got everything to do with what I'm preaching. 
Because I'm going to tell you this, when Bobby Joe Chandler picks up that five-foot chainsaw and cranks that, I don't know if it's got an electric start or if it's a pull start. I hope it's got an electric start for you. But anyway, I'm going to tell you what, he, he is acutely paying attention to everything that's going on whenever he takes that saw and starts cutting through a massive tree like that. He, he is not only aware of that saw that he has in his hands, but he's aware of the wind and where the wind's blowing. He's aware of which way that tree is going to fall because a tree that large, if it falls on you, it will crush you. And whenever he gets up and starts cutting with that saw, there is an absolute, complete focus in what he's doing. And I thought to myself this morning while he was telling me that story, I thought I want that kind of focus with my Christian walk and that there is a part that I realize that I'm walking through a dangerous world, but I got a victorious Savior. I've got a powerful spirit that's working on the inside of me and it has nothing to do with me. And you can say the same thing that as you walk through this world that you run the race with patience. I want us to stand. Lord's good to us. And we're going to make it. You're going to make it. Sister Bailey, I told you that before church tonight. <coughs> Bailey's got some challenging health issues going on, but you know what? She's going to make it. There are others of you here in this sanctuary tonight. You're dealing with situations in your life. But I'm just preaching to you here tonight that if you'll run this race with patience and don't look at your circumstances, but if you look to the author and the finisher of your salvation, that, that's the key. Amen. Well, I got it dead in the door now, Sister Regina. So let's sing it out of this hole.